It was one of the most horrific nights in Mexico's history. In 1968, 10 days before the Summer Olympics in Mexico City, around 10,000 mostly student demonstrators gathered in Tlatelolco Square to protest their country's authoritarian regime. In response, the Mexican army massacred the protesters, opening fire into the crowd and killing hundreds. Hundreds more of the students were arrested and tortured in the aftermath, with many disappearing from public record shortly after. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. Before we start, I just want to say if I mispronounce any names or words in Spanish, I apologize. I know my Spanish isn't great, so I'm open to correction. Sources for this episode include Mexico 68 by Kara Michelle Borden from the University of Oregon's History Department, The Tlatelolco Massacre by Kate Doyle, and Mexico's 1968 Massacre, What Really Happened by All Things Considered from NPR. In the summer of 1968, a growing democratic movement was sweeping across Mexico. Primarily led by students of the various universities across the country, the movement was an informal one. It had various goals, including giving the people representation in Mexico's government, rooting out corruption, and lessening the nation's wealth inequality. The summer had been filled with protests, some larger than others, and violent conflicts between the demonstrators and Mexico's authoritarian regime led by President Gustavo Díaz Ordaz, became commonplace. Ten days before the Olympics, the largest protest in the movement's history began in Mexico City. On October 2, 1968, starting early in the morning, an estimated 10 to 15,000 demonstrators marched through the city streets to Tlatelolco Square, chanting slogans and carrying signs. Despite the fact that they were behaving peacefully, the army soon arrived, matching the protesters in numbers. Army and police helicopters flew overhead, and the atmosphere grew tense. Soldiers in riot gear formed lines in the streets, and plainclothes police openly brandished rifles at the crowd. Then, at 6.10 p.m., the unthinkable happened. According to eyewitnesses, flares lit up the sky, giving a signal to the armed forces on the ground. The soldiers opened fire into the plaza as tanks bulldozed through the crowd. As the protesters began to flee, snipers on rooftops picked off those who ran away. Hundreds were killed where they stood, or shot down in the streets as they tried to escape. Soldiers in civilian clothing grabbed the protests' leaders and threw them into the backs of unmarked vans. The shooting lasted two hours. When the square finally fell silent, hundreds of civilians were dead, thousands were wounded, and the pavement was covered in blood. A seemingly safe, and at least outwardly democratic nation, had committed brutal crimes against its own people. The Mexican government would go on to quickly attempt to cover up the incident. Official reports at the time claimed that only four had died during the protests. They also asserted that the student protesters, who the government claimed had been infiltrated by communist spies, had shot first. The Mexican news media, which was wholly controlled by President Ordaz, reported the events of the massacre as though the demonstrators were a violent radical group 
and the army had been simply defending itself. Ordaz even hired government cleaners to wash away the blood on the ground and hide any evidence of the violence that had occurred. Due to this massive cover-up by the Mexican government, it is hard to find an accurate body count for the Tlatelolco massacre. Eyewitnesses and foreign reporters in the city at the time asserted that around 3,000 civilians were wounded, with as many as three to 400 killed. What has been confirmed is that 1,345 students were arrested and shipped to military bases for interrogation following the protests. The Mexican government's claim that the student protesters shot first has also been proven to be false. First-hand testimony from several Mexican army veterans has confirmed that they cut off all electricity and telephone communication in Tlatelolco Square prior to the start of the protest, indicating careful planning. The snipers on the rooftops began to fire only after the flares were lit, another apparent example of preparation. Additionally, after the Freedom of Information Act, the Pentagon and the CIA released documents in 2003 showing correspondence between Mexico's head of federal security and U.S. intelligence. When the CIA posed concerns regarding the potential for communist groups to rise out of the student movement, the Mexican government responded by asking for weapons and ammunition, while claiming, quote, the situation will be under complete control very shortly. To understand how Mexico got to this point, it is important to understand its history in the preceding years. Following World War II, Mexico had seen its economy grow rapidly, with manufacturing and large-scale agriculture taking over much of the country. Despite this increase in development, the 1950s and 60s saw record levels of inequality, as the richest members of Mexican society consolidated much of the nation's wealth. By the late 60s, the poorest Mexicans were in dire straits economically, and homelessness was a major problem. These economic pressures coincided with the student movement calling for the people to gain representation in the government. The movement got its start, interestingly enough, in a street brawl after a high school soccer game. When the Mexico City police couldn't stop the riot, the army was brought in. Their solution was to shoot a bazooka at the school, killing several students and wounding dozens more. I'm sorry I didn't mean to laugh there, but... Just in what situation would shooting a bazooka at a bunch of high schoolers be a good idea? I'd love to hear the thought process behind that. These sorts of heavy-handed tactics were not uncommon in the regime under President Ordaz. While the Mexican government was officially a democracy, Ordaz was, for all intents and purposes, a dictator. He had won the presidency in a sham election, and since his ascension, he had been notoriously heavy-handed against those who he believed threatened his power. He jailed his political opponents and either repressed movements from labor unions and farmers or incorporated them directly into his government. His authoritarian style of rule spawned several guerrilla groups in rural Mexico and created unrest throughout the country. As Ordaz struggled to maintain power, these pockets of rebellion were joined by the growing student revolution, who, despite bazooka casualties, were determined in their march for democracy and government accountability. But while Ordaz had many problems at home, he also had powerful allies. The open corruption in his government had allowed the wealthy of Mexican society to buy seats in Ordaz's cabinet. With the ultra-elite of Mexico behind him, Ordaz had a nearly limitless supply of funding. His true backer, however, was the United States of America. The Pentagon and the CIA believed that Ordaz's authoritarian tendencies were acceptable, 
as long as Ordaz kept his country away from the communist movements that had begun to sweep through Central and South America. They supplied Ordaz's regime with weapons, tanks, riot gear, and the training to use them. As the summer of 1968 transitioned into the fall, and protests continued to pop up around Mexico, the Pentagon authorized ever larger shipments of munitions. While Ordaz violently suppressed his own people, he also simultaneously was attempting to make Mexico into a palatable place for potential foreign investors. The 1968 Olympics were a huge part of Ordaz's plan to demonstrate to the world that Mexico was an up-and-coming global power. To emphasize this, he used his contacts and business to construct huge stadiums and arenas for the upcoming games. Since the games were Ordaz's opportunity to prove that Mexico was a stable, thriving country, he became increasingly desperate to stop the protests by any means necessary. The very existence of huge protests and demonstrations directly contradicted the government propaganda put out by Ordaz, claiming that Mexico was a united country. As athletes from all over the globe began to arrive in the weeks preceding the games, Ordaz began to violently crack down on the movement towards democratization. The night after the massacre, there was an initial worldwide shock that the Mexican government had killed hundreds of its own peacefully protesting citizens. Despite the atrocity, the foreign press only lightly covered the Tlatelolco massacre. While the media in Mexico was tightly controlled by President Ordaz, the foreign press had no such limits. Regardless, they focused more on the upcoming Olympic Games than the civilians brutally murdered by their own army. U.S. and British news outlets at the time helped Ordaz sell his sanitized version of Mexico, and briefly, if at all, mentioned the massacre. The Olympic Committee followed suit, releasing a statement maintaining that the Olympics were an oasis apart from the rest of the world's troubles, and refused to acknowledge the killings. The games went on, and news coverage of the various sporting events quickly overwhelmed any stories about the dead protesters. Ordaz succeeded in downplaying the severity of the events at Tlatelolco Square, but he continued to have trouble with resistance movements throughout the rest of his presidency. The massacre itself served as a turning point, showing the Mexican people the brutality of their government and beginning a decades-long battle for democracy. In recent years, there have been attempts by the Mexican government to acknowledge the massacre. In 2018, the government released previously classified documents, stating that hundreds of student protesters were detained, tortured, or killed. However, despite the Mexican government's admission, due to Ordaz's regular purging of records during his regime, an accurate death count has not been confirmed. That was a real depressing one. I will try to choose a more cheerful topic for the next episode. Thanks for listening to Shaking America.